Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Now, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, if not, there's probably one in a seat uh, underneath the seat in front of you. Grab it. Open to Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to start our Christmas series today, and I'm going to come at it a little bit differently than normal. We probably aren't going to be uh, anchoring in any of our normal Christmas passages. Uh, We're going to actually kind of jump out of Galatians chapters 4 and 5. And the goal here is to help us all really have a really full Christmas. And so I want us to think and look at what would it look like to have a really full Christmas. And deeply, this is going to be deeply wrapped up in this thing called Advent, which to me is simply a spiritual growth campaign. Some of you have been here for some of our like our 40 days of growth campaign or experiencing God growth campaigns, some others that we've done. This is, Advent is an annual spiritual growth campaign campaign that we can enter in, an opportunity under the direction and power of the Holy Spirit to grow personally, to know our Father God and His only begotten Son, Jesus, even more richly. Now, the word Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus, and it just simply needs arrival or, 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 or coming. It's what Paul writes about, really, in Galatians chapter, chapter 4. Now, the, the context of this, he's writing a letter to this church that has really been struggling. Uh, It's had difficulty really wrapping its head around the gospel. And Paul is writing to them just kind of simply to say, the gospel is about Jesus. So Paul gets to what we know as chapter 4 in in his letter, although he didn't, you know, write a chapter himself. Uh, That's how we've designated it. But in in chapter 4, reading in verse 4, I want you to read this with me. It says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, as children, as, as daughters as well. Now, this is the word uh, of the Lord. Now, Paul says that when time was fulfilled, so there was this moment in time where time was being uh, fulfilled, which means uh, up until that moment, this time when time would be full of something, which means until that moment arrived, time was less than full. Time was kind of less than. It, it wasn't all full of what God intended. And it means every moment up until that birth uh, of Jesus, something was lacking. And it comes about from the very first promise that God made to people, humanity, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God made a promise. And he, he made this promise as he was uh, bringing a curse on Satan. You may remember this. He said this to Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between you and her, the offspring of her. He will crush your head. This was a physical promise of a physical coming of God to come and wipe out darkness, to wipe out evil, to wipe out the enemies of God's people. Now, Abraham and other early followers of Yahweh God, they clung to this promise. They clung to the promises of God. And this is the first point that I want you to grab hold of this morning is this. God promised that a fullness of time moment would come 
And that moment was Christmas. That, that moment was Christmas. Um, and, and God's people were like, God, we're, 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 we're waiting on this. We're looking forward to this for, that you're going to make a way. Now, if you fast forward about 14 generations to a man we know as, as King David, the scriptures tell us that um, his kingdom would, would one day have no end and that David's offspring would uh, rule over and reign over uh, uh, an eternal kingdom. And God's people held tightly to that promise. And God was, God was moving. They didn't know how long it was going to be, but God, God was at work. And then about 300 years after the reign of David, the prophet Isaiah, God spoke to his people. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we read these words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And people were like, yay, this is great news. When? When's that going to happen? When is that that going to come about? Isaiah would shortly thereafter kind of clarify that promise more specifically. In chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child will be born, to us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And people went, yay again, great, wonderful. When? When's that going to get here? Have you ever felt like that you were just playing a waiting game? You ever sat in a doctor's office and felt like you were hurrying up to wait? You know, we, we just, we, we kind of do that. Like the time that you're in right there in that in-between time wasn't full of anything, just, just full of waiting. You know, this season is a little bit like this. And, and we experience it differently depending on where we are in life. My grandkids are preparing for Christmas different than their parents are. My grandkids' preparation for Christmas is marked by going to their Advent candle calendar and marking the day off. And they're thinking about, ooh, there's, there's this many more days till Christmas. All they're doing is kind of counting things off. What are their mom and dad doing? Well, they've been preparing and planning for that day for a little bit longer. And they're, you know, they're, they're doing things like, you know, making sure that they're going to be kind of things prepared and, 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 and those kinds of things. Uh, the, our grandkids are just wondering when. Their parents are, are waiting very, very differently. And see, the same is true when we come to this waiting that God's people were doing, you know, in the Old Testament. Whereas, you know, our, 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 our kids uh, and our, our daughter, Caitlin, and our son-in-law, uh, Andrew, while they're preparing and planning and making some details, you know, how are we going to pull this off? You know, how are we going to do these kinds of things? The, in the same way, God was behind the scenes preparing and planning for when that moment of fullness in time came in ways that people could not see. And that's so Paul writes about this fullness of time. And that, here's what it looked like, kind of the context. The world, the earth itself, humanity itself, I, I like to think of it this way. It was, it was at this, this moment in time, it was like uh, nine months pregnant, ready to deliver at any moment because God had prepared the world for the delivery, the coming of Messiah. 
Here's what happened historically for you kind of history buffs out there. It was the first time that the entire known world had been united under one empire. Un under one empire. You, you know, you had this guy named Caesar Augustus at the time of Jesus' birth who was ruling over it all. He was the son of Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar happened to be the first Roman emperor to have really been deified, to be worshipped as God. So guess what Caesar Augustus got called? The son of God. Things were being prepped, being, the table was being set. And the Roman Empire was expanding significantly. You had them building roads, incredible road system that made travel different than it had ever been possible before. You could travel extensively and you could travel quickly, which hadn't been possible before. They, they built these complex road systems that, uh, so well that some of them are still actually in existence today. Not like Charleston. You know, they build roads in Charleston, and five years later, they're filling potholes, having to repave the thing. Sometimes you kind of feel like the road system around here is like a sporting event. You know, you're just kind of waiting on something new to happen, you know. You, you had that going on. But at the same time, God was birthing a global language because of the explosion of global trade. And the Greek language was becoming kind of the, the primary language used by, you know, most cultures in some capacity. So the first time in the history of humanity, you had this unified empire, you had this road system that allowed for travel, and you had a kind of a language that had prepared the world to receive a message unlike the world had ever received before. While his people were waiting, God was planning and preparing. And friends, he's doing that for you. Right now, when the fullness of time had come, there was this promise that was going to be kept. But before it was fulfilled, we need to learn something, I think, about God's promises kind of in general. And we see it in God's promise of Christmas. God's promise of Christmas was of a process. A process. We, we like to think full, you know, promises simply get fulfilled by an immediate act. But I don't know if you've noticed, that's just kind of the way God works. You know, he, I kind of wonder about that because he could just give a quick answer. But he doesn't. He walks along. God often seems to take his time. Does it ever feel like that to you? That God is just taking his time, and you've asked him, and it just seems like that's going on. I mean, think about it. God gave Abraham a promise when he was 75 years old. He fulfilled that promise 25 years later when Abraham was 100 years old. When, when God anointed David as king over his people, that, that kingdom that the rule reign would never end, it was almost 13 years before David actually got to rule as king. Between that time of the anointing and when he got to rule as king, he spent 13 years running for his life, hiding in caves, you know, begging for food. It was just kind of crazy. And so these promises of God we see, they're, they're, they're part of this process that God is at work in. And it just kind of makes you, or at least me anyway, makes me want to go, God, why don't you just wait to give your promise, you know, so that the day after you'll deliver on it. It would seem simpler to me. Why, why, do you, why do you wait? What are you doing, God? 
Friends, that's what Advent's about. The journey of Advent is this process to teach us about waiting on the Lord. Now, please hear me say this. If you haven't already seen this, you will if you walk with the Lord long enough. God will do his best work in you while you are waiting. Not, not when he gives you something, but his best work will be done in you while you are waiting. But what is it that we as Americans really are lousy at? Waiting. We are not good at waiting. We're great at working. We're great at producing. We're great at doing. But waiting, not so much. We're just not, not great at that. You know, we live in this Amazon Prime delivery culture. You know, you punch it into your computer and you go stand by the door because it's coming soon. You know, you're, you're, we, we, we believe that. We, 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 we kind of live that way. Nobody is currently signing up for membership in a delivery system that takes 25 years for their product to arrive, for the promise to be fulfilled. You know, none of us, you know, go on Amazon Prime and, and say, yeah, I'd, I'd like to uh, receive this in, in the year 2047. You know, we, we want it, we want it, and, and we want it right now. But God, in his work, he does it so slowly. He moves that way. I mean, just think about something maybe that you've been currently waiting on. Maybe a doubt that you've had that you're waiting to be resolved. Maybe, maybe it's a healing that you're, you've been waiting to come. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're waiting on a wayward child to return to, to you or, or maybe to the Lord. Maybe you've been waiting on a spouse to change or a relationship to be restored. Friends, if you've been waiting, you know this, it's hard work. It's, it's not easy. It's a difficult part of the process. But I want you to listen to the way that Paul talks about about this. In, in verse 4 he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God, God is going to move. It wasn't that the world had done this great terrific job of getting things ready. It wasn't that the world had prepped itself for the coming of Messiah, that we were finally good enough to receive the coming King. No. Christmas was totally the initiative of God. It was God coming for humanity. It was God on the move. It was God in pursuit. And it is God who is going to do the sending. There's a Greek word that Paul uses here, and it simply means to send out from. It paints a picture of God on a mission. And friends, Christmas is about God accomplishing something. It's about God working and God moving. Look at, look at how well Paul wrote it. But when the fullness of time had come, God, God sent forth his son. In Advent, I think it's important for us to learn to wait because we're learning to receive answers from God in our waiting. And here's the deal on this. God seldom answers, uh, you know, our prayers with an idea or or just a message, or even a messenger, God almost always delivers what we need the most even when we don't realize that we need it. And that is himself. God sends himself. And so here's something else I learned. is this, is while God's promises, well, it's a process, 
His provision is a person. His promise leads us into process, but his provision is always related to a person, the person of God, the person of Christ himself. And this gets personal in two ways. First of all, it's personal because God brings himself. It's completely different than any other religion or or, or world system or philosophy. Our God enters into the problem in flesh and blood to resolve, to overcome our sin problem. He takes it on himself. The theologians call it the incarnation. In, incarne, well, since we were singing in Spanish earlier, in, in flesh, in meat, is, is, what, is what that means. See, Christmas isn't just about God giving a gift. It's about a life, his life being, being shared. It's about an invitation into life with the Trinity, and so, friends, when we, when we think back into this story about Christmas before it happened, there was this great story of waiting. And we, we look back at God's fulfillment of that great story of waiting being fulfilled. We should go, God, this is crazy. It's shocking. It's confusing that, that what you would do is you would give yourself, that you wouldn't only come as the messenger, but, but you would solve the problem. You would shoulder all the pain and sorrow. See, for God, this is always personal. Now, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what type of waiting you walked through those doors with today. I know all of us did, you know. And I don't know what maybe hope you're waiting to see fulfilled that right now maybe you feel like is kind of slipping away slipping out of your grasp, and you're not sure what to, to do with that today. You know, if, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to lean in for a moment, because one of the things that Christmas declares to us above everything else is that God sees. He sees you. God knows. He knows what you walked in those doors with. He knows what, feels, what it feels like that you're, you're experiencing that's slipping away, and he sees and he cares, and he's involved. And he wants you to know that you have, exactly as you are, the mess that you may be today, in the waiting that you're waiting in, the sorrow that you're waiting in, you have, in his eyes, infinite value. You have infinite worth to the God of all creation. And the incarnation is ultimately about him redeeming that brokenness, that lost hope that you're experiencing. And it's because of his love. Because he loves you. You matter to him. He sees you and he knows you. And that's got to be a huge part of what we celebrate at Christmas through this Advent season. It's this provision that doesn't not only solves the problem, but it meets each of us personally and intimately through a relationship with the God of all creation through his son Jesus. So, yes, grab hold of this. Christmas is about God on a rescue mission, about, about redemption, about those who are oppressed or pushed down. And so that's why in this Advent season, we, we need to see that. But we also need to see something else. We need to see that there's a big elephant in the Advent room. There's a big elephant that we need to address, we got to deal with it. And here it is. If God sent his son 2,000 years ago to redeem the world... Couldn't we expect the world to look a little different than it does today? 
I mean, just, just kind of look around. I mean, if God came to redeem, was he completely successful? Because there are people that are asking that question out there, and we need to face it. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the Holy Spirit inspired the gospel writer John to write a letter to the new struggling church. And in chapter 8 of verse 3 of his first letter, John writes these words. He says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, when I read that, I understand and I know what's going on there, but there's this question that sits behind that. Has that happened yet? Has all of the works of the devil been destroyed yet? And I look around and I think, no. And so here's what that sets up in my heart. It sets up in my heart that maybe, maybe the world is kind of pregnant again. Maybe, maybe there's going to be this time of fulfillment that's, that's coming soon. This time that, that, that needs to, we need to be preparing for. And I know, I, I've talked with some of you. Some of you have shared that you've been crying out to God like you've never cried out to God before. Just crying out to God in prayer. And you know this. The last several years have been just overwhelming with pain in our world. Pain and sorrow in our world. I mean, look at Ukraine. Look at the atrocity that's been going on and happening there. If you keep up with what's going on in Nigeria, thousands of Christians are being murdered for, simply for their faith. India is experiencing, Christians are experiencing uh, persecution that's breaking out on all kinds of levels. Uh, some of our own, in our own church, some of our, our leaders who have been over to India uh, reported that some of the pastors that they had worked with were, were taken last week and have not been heard from since then. And we're praying uh, about those. UNICEF's latest report tells us that over 8 million children, not, not people on the planet, Children, over 8 million children currently are on the brink of starvation. And a half million of those are in the, the nation of Somalia alone. We have seen increased mass shootings in our own nation. And it makes me stop and ask, are we at another moment in time? Is creation, you know, pregnant with something, waiting on something to happen? Well, the book of Romans might say, yeah, it is. Look at this from Romans chapter 8. Paul writes these words. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What does it say that creation is groaning for? It, it doesn't say, you know, that uh, creation. It, it, it kind of makes you ask the question, did creation not get the memo that the Messiah had already come? I mean, creation knew that that the Messiah had come. When you read about what's going on in Somalia, did they not get the memo that Messiah had come? So shouldn't all of their issues be solved? And what about you? Have you ever come to a place like this, a place where the people of God gather to worship Him at, at Christmas, but you came with your problems, and you're wondering about your problems and about the reality that's going on, you walk in believing wholeheartedly that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, Messiah, King, Lord of all creation, was born in Bethlehem. And yet, you and I and the whole world longs for redemption. So, what do we do? Do we just go home and make more Christmas cookies? 
Sing fa la 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 la? I mean, what do we do? Do we just sing louder? Do, do, do we just sing, have yourself a merry little Christmas? All your troubles will feel miles away? Do your troubles feel miles away? Or do they feel like a great big gorilla on your back, pressing you down? So what do we do? Because we, we of all people, have to be able to look reality in the face. We have to be able to address the atrocities and the injustices that exist in our world. We have to address the realities that there are hopes and dreams that get, get dashed on this planet. Here's what we've got to be able to do. We've got to be able to look all of those in the face and proclaim with joy and boldness, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In the face of all of that, God's people have to be able to proclaim that. And friends, this is part of the power and beauty of Advent, of taking that spiritual journey. See, Advent doesn't erase the realities of life. It's not what Christmas is about. It's not what Advent is about. Advent, Advent is about pointing us to God who made promises that transcend what you can see right now. It's, it's, it's about something deeper. If you go and you read through the New Testament, I challenge you to do this. Maybe, maybe make a challenge of 30 days to just read the New Testament completely through in 30 days. And here's what you're going to find. You're going to find the writers of the New Testament, one of the things they did was they did write a little bit about the birth of Jesus. But you know what they wrote a lot about? The second coming. About him coming back. They spent a lot of time trying to get God's people to focus forward. Now, Advent is us living kind of in the middle, but it calls us to focus forward. When my dad was teaching me to drive, I scared him to death sometimes, just so you know. But when he was teaching me to drive, one of, my, one of the things my dad said, which seemed like common sense, he, he said, Joey, that's what they called me, I was a junior, Joey, you got to stay focused on what's ahead of you. And then he said, while always knowing what's going on behind you and around you. He said, you got to focus forward, but you got to glance in your rearview mirror. And you got to glance in your side view mirror. So there's this focus forward glancing that's going on. Friends, that's Advent. We need to focus forward to what lies ahead for God's people, for the return of our, of our coming king. But we need to... Look what happened in the rear. We need to look back and celebrate what God has done. And then we need to look around us as what's going on, what, what reality we're facing. That's, that's Advent. That's what we do. We glance back to the day that Messiah King came, the Savior has come. We glance back at his death, his burial, his resurrection. And then we, we realize and we recognize that we live in this messy middle creation groaning but then where do we focus we look ahead to the promises that God has given us of his soon and coming return one day when he will wipe out every tear one day when he will heal every disease one day when he will make everything new one day when that trumpet is going to sound and he will come again to put everything right but until then we're in the messy middle and we pray and we enter into that redemptive story 
with the good news of what happened in the past and the good news with what's yet to come. And we take that everywhere. We take it as we feed people at Low Country Cares. We take it as we give gifts away at events like Love Gave, but we take the good news. See, far too often Christmas seems to be a time for sentimental, trite cliches, and it's not. It's not time for some what looks like a, you know, an opioid-induced optimism. That's not what Christmas is about. It's not the denial of reality going on around us. Christmas is about hope in the midst of reality. It, it, it's hope that persists in spite of the brokenness, persists in spite of the questions. It persists in spite of the doubt, it insists, in spite of the pain. You know, waiting that we do is a universal condition. Everybody waits. The question is, will you wait well? And that's what's really the kind of the counterintuitive invitation from Advent, is to focus forward will help you wait well. Yes, look in the rear. Look where, where God has taken us and brought us from. Look around at the reality, but, but focus forward. Embrace that. Peter writing to the early church in his, in his second letter in chapter 30, he's writing to a church and he's telling them that in your season of waiting, you need to be warned about something. You need to be warned that there are going to be people who are going to come and teach and they're going to murmur kind of underneath their breath and they're going to say, look at what he says in verse 4. He says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Kind of wagging their head saying, where's this Jesus? He said he's coming back, so where is he? Sure, he was born in a manger. Sure, we can look at historical data to kind of, kind of prove that. But where is he? It's kind of silly for you to think that he's actually going to come back again. Peter, Peter said they're going to be people who are going to wonder out loud, ask those questions, and even teach that. And they'll just go, oh, this, this is all silliness. Let's just have ourselves a merry little Christmas. Not focus forward. But I want you to listen to how Peter continues after that. In verse 8, he says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You may have the latest, greatest Apple Watch. Do all kinds of things. But here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't keep the same time that God does. It just won't. It can't. It can't manage time like God does because he holds it in his hand. And so his time and your time are going to look different. And Peter tells us about this. He goes on to say, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord, there's something coming. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. He's talking about the second coming there. He's talking about the return of the Lord. And then he says this. And when that happens, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so this is Peter's point. And I think what he's pushing us towards in Advent of 2022. And it's this. Once we believe God's promise is most often a process, here's what we'll begin to do. And it, it'll, it'll only come once we begin to do that, is we'll start to trust God's timeline. 
It'll only come after we get to understand that God's promise is a process that we'll be able to start to trust God's timeline. Please notice what I did not say. I did not say know God's timeline. You will not know God's timeline. This book tells us that you will not perfectly know the, the, the return uh, of the Lord. And God's timeline, as we have said, is way different than ours. And so, friends, you know, there have been seasons in my life when I, when I have struggled. Praying prayers like, God, why are you taking your sweet time? God, wh- where, where are you? God, I'm languishing here. God, do you, not, do you not, not hear me? But Advent, one of the things it does is it teaches us how to wait. It's the one kind of season on the church calendar that pats you on the back if you're a waiter. And it says, let's wait well. But here's the danger. Here's the warning that I want to give you in the waiting. Because this happens so often to people. While you're waiting on God to deliver that promise, as you just keep waiting, it will, you will be tempted. You will be tempted to just kind of say, God, I'm checking out. God, you know, I'm just going to kind of hit the cruise control. God, you know, I, you're just kind of making me wait here. So, God, I'm going to make you wait a little bit. You know, I'm just not going to engage fully with you. You know what that is? That's the way a four-year-old handles things. You know, that's just a, and Peter was speaking into this, and he, he's saying, I know you're going to have this four-year-old temper tantrum with God, so when it comes, know this, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? One of the greatest questions in the Bible for people who are waiting, for people who are waiting on God, because God's time is slower, it's different than ours. And here's what we need to be learning. And this is why we were studying the Sermon on the Mount, is we need to be learning that God is doing something. This is what God is, is doing. And, and what Advent needs to be for us is that once we come to trust God's timeline, not know it, but once we come to trust it, we need to understand that he then calls us to focus on formation. Our focus needs to be, uh, in our lives, is we need to focus on being formed in the image of Christ. Being formed in the image is only going to come when we say, I'm not going to check out. Instead, Lord, what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig deeper. I'll repent where I need to repent. I'll be transformed the way you call us to be transformed. I will live in the kingdom of God in the here and now as Jesus taught us on the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that, you know, you called me to be a a light. You've called me to be salt. We, We begin believing that. And so we ask over and over again, Father, what do you want me to do in this time? How do you want me to change? How do you want me to be formed into the image of Christ? And so here's what it'll look like if that's happening. If you're a business person, you'll refuse to do anything corrupt just to get ahead. That's an Advent kind of decision. Or when a person who's having this recurring thought that, you know, maybe you could be happier somewhere else, instead of deciding to leave your marriage, you stick to the covenant. And you continue to love and sacrifice even though it's tough. That's an Advent decision, a a, a decision in waiting. Or you're a parent, you continue to show love in the face of rejection. Rejection from your kids, those values of faith that you hold to. Not giving up is an Advent decision that displays hope while you wait. 
and you continue to pray that prayer that Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 10 to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let up there come down here. Bring what's in heaven down to earth. And we begin to live in that kingdom, desperately longing for that. And we cling to those words of hope that Peter goes on to give in 2 Peter 3. Look at this in verse 12. Waiting for and hastening. Waiting has to do with patience. Hastening has to do with persistence. I hope you feel that kind of tension there. That we, 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 we wait and we hasten. We long for, desperately long for the coming kingdom. And we looked for that future. But look, Peter goes on. He says, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. That, that day, there's a fulfilling day coming. And it says, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolve and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But, please grab this, but according to his promise... Remember, promise equals process. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Friends, that burning, it's a refining. It's a renewal. It's a, it's a redemption. It's that when every tear will be wiped out, when every sadness and sorrow that you have experienced will be reversed, when death will no more have power and no more have sting, when the enemy of your heart and soul will be destroyed. Man, I can't wait. I can't wait for the day I stop sinning. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day because when I do it, it just kills me a little more. And so what we do is we look back and we see the day that Christ, that he came, that he was crucified, that he he was risen from the dead, the promise that he's coming back. We cling to that. But here's what we do, and this is kind of my closing thought. In our waiting, we need to look back, glance back with adoration. We need to adore our risen Lord. We need to praise Him. We need to worship Him. But we need to do it from hearts that anticipate His coming. When we worship Him in the here and now, we need to anticipate His coming. And that's why I want to encourage you again, if you haven't done it already, find you a really good Advent guide, a devotional guide. I I reposted something on Realm today. We're going to send out an email tomorrow that will suggest some resources. It's not too late for you to get in because God wants you to experience the fullness of time right now, right, right in the here and now because His coming could happen at any moment. Do you know that? Our world is ripe for His coming and I want to close with this, with this thought of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Because it tells us about his second coming, the second time he comes. It will not be to deal with sin. He did that the first time. But here's what he's going to do. He will save those. He will heal those. He will restore those who are eagerly waiting for his return. Now, I know you're waiting But the question is, are you waiting eagerly? Do you have this heart that adores our risen Lord, but it is filled with anticipation that he's coming back? Friends, that's how we live in the peace of Christmas. That's that's how we do that. That's how Christmas peace comes to us. That's how Jesus becomes your Prince of Peace now. It's if you are waiting, adoring what took place in the past, but anticipating 
his soon and coming again moment. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come. We come knowing that your peace has come to this earth. That it came over 2,000 years ago in your son Jesus. And that his promise was that he would come again. That we are living in another season where you are preparing and you are planning in ways that we can't see. And you are calling us to adore our risen Savior and yet long for his return. And so we want to do that, God, as we step into your peace, knowing that peace has come and knowing that peace is going to come again in all of its fullness. And we want to be your people of peace, God. So I pray that as we worship and as we walk through Christmas this year, that we will be people who fully adore you and yet maybe for the first time do it with the greatest anticipation ever that you are coming again. That we would be people of hope in that. That we would be people who are able to live in your peace because you are the Prince of Peace who's coming soon. We love you, Lord. We come to worship you now, once again, to celebrate your goodness, to celebrate your promise of your peace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.